Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that usually contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or, or trash <laughs> piece of cinema. But we be on vacation, lads. <laughs> That's right. It's summertime. It's summertime. So we are doing things a little differently. We are going to look at four reasons why you should watch and may enjoy one of the most recent releases across a brand new streaming platform or across the streaming platforms and the release is brand new. That's right. And these are um, spoiler free. Yeah. Spoiler so, free unless we get to the end and I want to complain about something that would spoil it. Then we'll we'll, we'll save it for the know. end. Yeah. We'll let you know if there's a spoiler coming up for sure. And they will be toward the end of the podcast. So uh, if you don't mind, if you're the type of person who doesn't mind knowing what happens. Yeah. Um, great for you. Yeah. And if you do mind, well, then I guess when you get to the end, you can turn it off. Just, and you don't have to hear our ads for uh, mattresses that we're selling. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish we had ads <laughs> for things that gave us money. But instead, we just get to talk about the four reasons why you should watch The Sea Beast on Netflix. All right, so I am going to kick this one off. Uh, with my first reason, Jesse, do you know mm. the name of the director of this film? Nope. Okay. His name is Chris Williams. Okay. Now, Chris Williams is an interesting dude because he has had quite a sort of storied career in animation to this point, predominantly for this little independent company, uh, the, I believe, Walt Disney Corporation. Oh, I do believe I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah. So he got his start, at least credited start, as a story artist on 1998's Mulan. Now, a story artist yeah. may not mean everything to everyone, but it basically is the person who draws the storyboards, right? Okay. So he's not doing the animating, but he's drawing the storyboards that carry the plot of the story forward. Right? I kind of always wonder who those people are and what ends up happening to them. Well, you're going to find out what happened to this guy. They work for Netflix. <laughs> that, well, yeah. So he actually then went on to do... He was he was a credited writer for The Emperor's New Groove, mm -hmm. which he also did was a story artist on. He was a story artist on Lilo and Stitch. He was also on Chicken Little. Um, he did Meet the Robinsons, which I don't know if you remember that movie. I need to watch it. Okay, and then he uh, sort of had his big directorial debut in two thousand and eight with a Disney film called Bolt. Do you remember Bolt? Mm, was it about a dog? It was about a dog that was fast, I believe. Not okay. a snail that was fast, that was Turbo. Sure. Not a hedgehog that was fast, that's Sonic. Right. This is a dog that's fast named Bolt. Apparently that movie got nominated for Best Acad best Animated Picture in the Academy Awards. So uh, okay. I need to, I guess, watch I it. I guess I need to watch that. Yeah. So he was credited with the screenplay and also uh, directed it. Um, he did some additional voice work there as well. But he continued to work with Disney. Um he was part of what they called the Disney Story Trust. So even though he was uncredited on a lot of these films, he would be a part of the process in crafting the narrative for the film. So he did uh, Princess and the Frog, Tangled, Winnie the Pooh. He worked on both of the Wreck-It Ralph films. Um, and then his uh, he actually was also the story artist for Frozen yeah. and uh, Frozen 2. It's weird that, that <laughs> unions would allow somebody to work on something uncredited. Yeah, I think it's um it's not necessarily that they're that he's like putting in a ton of work on the actual project. Right. I think it's like their story trust, which I can look into more, um, was really focused on we have these people who are intelligent and smart and they work for the Disney Corporation and they get put on projects and this we can just kind of use their 
their thoughts, um, if that yeah, makes sense. But that's like intellectual property. But and- if you sign it over to, to Disney, then like this that guy doesn't own Frozen or doesn't own um, Bolt, even though he wrote. Yeah, Bolt, you know? I guess it just is weird to me because I feel like there's rules in movies where if you don't have a specific role behind yeah. the camera, you can't like move a table. Sure, but there are tons of writers who are uncredited. Like, you know, like people will do a pass, like uh, whatever his name is, Shane Black, uh, was notorious for this in the 90s, for 90s action movies. Mm -hmm. They would call him up and give him a bunch of money and he would do a a once over on a script to like punch it up and make it funnier. But he wouldn't get credit. He'd just get paid a bunch. Like the writers for Kanye. (laughs) Sure. Yes. Like, uh, uh, like what's his? uh, Well, I mean, Kate Cuddy did write for Kanye, but I was thinking of the guy who actually wrote Jesus Walks, which was Kanye's first Grammy. Uh, his name's, or he goes by El Che, but um, Rhymefest is his name. Right, so. so the same thing. Yeah, exactly the same thing. This this guy is basically Kanye. <laughs> no, no, he's the Disney writer for Kanye. Kanye. <laughs> Disney's Kanye. Look, this metaphor is stretched, uh, so we're going to just move on. Uh, he also directed Big Hero 6, which is a movie that I enjoyed quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, which is based on a comic. Um, he was a co-director for Moana, and then this is his uh, fourth direct, like directorial uh, role in a motion picture. And this was the first one that was not for Disney. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that, um, you know, I think he sort of pursued an opportunity in his career to be a solo director. He also wrote the story on this and was a producer. So he got a lot more power and a lot more control um, on this project. So mm-hmm. if you like what you may have seen from him in... Bolt or Big Hero 6 or Moana, you know, those are films that succeed for different reasons other than the story. But if you liked those, you might like this one. Well, and that's I a good like reason to check it out. Big Hero 6. I like Moana. Yeah. Um, also, a lot of the things that he did the story for. It feels like if you're like the person who makes the storyboards, you are almost like working your way up in a restaurant from like the dishwasher or something like that to like work your way up to director. Like you're going from dishwasher to head chef in a way. Uh, you know, I, I agree with the head chef part of that. Yeah. I don't think story story artist is dishwasher. It just story feels like grunt is, work, right? No? no. Cause you're, you're crafting how the story is going to play out. Right. Yeah. So the screenwriter or the writer is like, here's what happens in this scene, mm-hmm. but you create what that scene looks like as a story artist. You're like, oh, here's where people are positioned. Here's where, you know, it, it's kind of maybe like going from like the maitre d' to the head chef. Or maybe the sous chef or no. I don't know. No. Okay. This is a Again, bad metaphor. Again, bad stop it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just trying to understand. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I like everything that he's done that you've listed off so far. So yeah. So, uh, yeah, that is one reason. If you feel uh, compelled to look for some similar content to those that I mentioned, Chris Williams is directed has directed The Sea Beast for Netflix. There you go. And that you know, one of your points leads into my first point, the fact that this is his first non-Disney film yeah, that he yeah. struck out on his own. And a reason I think that it's interesting to watch is because this is animation and kids content that is actually not Disney. So if that's something that you're interested in finding, or maybe you just don't have Disney plus, but you want something that is, I feel on par uh, with the quality that you would get in terms of writing and, and, um, and character development and story from the, from a Disney film, then this is a a great film to watch. Yeah. I think that, so he's, he's, worked on 19 feature length animated films. Mm-hmm. This is the only one of those 19 that was not a Disney property. Wow. Yeah. So wow. kind of interesting. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the the one thing I would caution anybody who is planning on watching this with kids is that it is a little bit darker and they'd be murdering. <laughs> well, it talks about there's there's talk about death. Um, you know, there's a bunch of there's a the main girl is an orphan. Yeah. And um they talk about how her parents die. They talk about um, people dying and, at sea. And, and early on, she's like, live a great life and die a great death or something like that. Right. Yeah. Like, it, it, they don't shy away from the conversation of death. And so, for instance, our four-year-old, um, we we definitely have not had conversations about death really with him. And he, he understands generally things that happen, but, like, I would not feel comfortable having him watch this because that would lead to conversations. Yeah. He wouldn't, he would get very sad at the beginning. I'm not spoiling anything here, but early on there's an, a set piece, a big action sequence yeah. where the crew of the main ship, which is called the inevitable. And every time they said that in the movie, I thought of it from like team America world police, how Kim Jong-un would say inevitable. No. Okay. Mm, so I don't, I don't recall. Okay. But. Yeah. It, it's not great. How have the South Park dudes not been like called up for shit like that? But anyway, <laughs> point being, uh, the, the inevitable gets uh, sidetracked from their mission to track the bluster, uh, which is the big red beast that's on the cover and everything. And they have to go help another uh, ship that's being attacked. And they end up killing that beast and cutting off its horn with like a saw. This isn't the first like it's in the first minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. It's 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 in the it's very early on. This is not like a big no uh spoiler. Right. Is it? No, no, not at all. Okay. And so uh and so the like that is is dark. And like in fact, the captain of the uh inevitable like jumps in onto this sea beast that they've just destroyed and it's sinking down into the water and he's cutting off the horn, and you're like, Good, I hope you drown. <laughs> like you did not like him. <laughs> the yeah. captain, yeah. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think that they do a pretty good job early on establishing who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, even though that doesn't necessarily align with um, what you're told. Yeah, you know, there's there's there they do a good job of of making you sort of question the the premise of this world, which is the point of the movie. Yeah, and I will uh, I will say I think that it's you know, it's pretty clear, I think, where they're going with this most of the time. They're not throwing a ton of curveballs at you. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because like there were several times where I was like, oh, here's where the plot's going because this will be an interesting twist and they don't do the interesting twist at all. They just do like, and then they, the thing happens. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. I, but yeah, I I think that um, it is, it is it is for the most part really well done. I think that there were a couple of interesting opportunities where they could have, like you said, taken it in a different direction. Um, the the person who they have, there's a witch that's in here, and anytime <laughs> you have a witch, completely unnecessary. Yeah, the witch was a little bit unnecessary, but I think anytime you have a witch, it, it also sort of raises red flags for me, just in terms of like um, misogyny, sure, yeah. and like the trope of a witch, yeah who is this like old crone that like casts spells and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing to have 
that be in there. Not because it's like witches aren't PC or whatever, but like if it were a male character, he would be like a kooky scientist or whatever. You sure, know, like sure, it, sure, sure. Yeah, it'd the be a, yeah, a, yeah. a kooky wizard, but it's a woman who has these mystical powers, so she's dark and evil. Yeah. You know. I will uh go ahead and spoil it at the end of the episode. So we'll get back to her. We'll get back to the witch. Yeah, we'll get back to the witch. We'll get back to some other things. But yeah. but yeah, if you're looking for animation content um, for kids and family time, just make sure that your ki- your kid is is able to handle darker concepts. The idea of death, the idea of hunting, because they're monster hunters. Yeah. The idea of of being an orphan and how that happens, because they it's definitely featured very heavily. Yeah, for sure. Um, and to you know, sort of uh, follow up on that point, this is the eighth feature film release from Netflix Animation Studios. So they've not done a ton yet. They did Klaus. Uh, they did Arlo the Alligator Boy, which we watched. We did watch Arlo. Um, and that was fun. But like a lot of their stuff, they're still finding their sort of footing and not necessarily sure what they want to be. Um, I think they also released Mitchell versus the Machines, but that was actually a Sony project that they bought last minute, so it wasn't part oh, of the animation did. studio. Yeah, and so I think what's what's interesting is they have a, a few more coming up. Um, Guillermo del Toro is doing uh, Pinocchio with the Jim Henson Company. That's the one I'm the most excited about. That seems like it's going to be not for children. Only yeah, no, nope, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be animated. Uh, it will. Yeah. Yep. That's, and does, that is that that just seems um, like it's confusing. Well, you know, we're going to have to see what it looks like. I don't know exactly where they're going to go with it, but um, it's, I think it's like animated in the same way, like the Lion King and the um, Jungle Book live action things happened. Uh, it's going to be like it's 3D just so animation. Heavily, it's just so heavily CG that it, yeah. it can't be counted as in live action. Kind of. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay. um, the other one that that's coming out is by this guy, Henry Selleck. I don't know if you know Henry Selleck, but you definitely know his work. Tom? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Not mustache. Um, no, it is. Um, Henry Selleck is the guy who did Coraline. He did uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. He did James and the Giant Peach. Mm-hmm. He's doing something called Wendell and Wild. So that's another good one that's coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep an eye on Netflix animation. They may give you some opportunities to see where they're growing a little bit. This film didn't seem like a counter to Disney as much as it did a counter to DreamWorks. This seemed like a very DreamWorksy kind of film mm-hmm. rather than a Disney kind of film. That being said, there's one thing that they do better in this film than in most of the DreamWorks films I've seen. And that's my third reason that you should look into this film. It is the animation sequences specifically around the action in the Mm. film. Yeah. The action was great. Yeah. So the opening of the, like the opening shot is a young boy on a piece of a ship that's floating that has been like exploded or broken apart. He's floating. He looks up back and so you see the water flowing off of everything on top of the boy. You see, look back at the ship as it's sort of on fire, you know, burning and sinking into the ocean. Um, the camera goes underneath the water to see, you know, from behind his shoulders to see the ship sinking and stuff like that. Really beautiful, really good camera work. And then that leads into that first big action set piece that I had talked about earlier. And the camera movement is great. Like they actually sway the camera with the boat. They go up and down the masts of the ship. They go, they boom and jib like you would on a traditional, like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or um, whatever you want to call it. Like any kind of, you know, seafaring pirate film. And and this very much is like a pirate film as much as they're like, you know, monster hunters. They're pirates. They're pirates. Yeah. 
Um, They're state-sanctioned pirates. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they work for the the king and queen, and they go out and they fight these uh, beasts. And um, a lot of those sequences are really good. And the animation there is actually pretty great because they put so much detail into the water, the waves, the ships, um, the movement of the camera, and all that kind of stuff is really, really well done. The reason I specify that it's for the anim- for the action sequences. It's because the animation, when they're just kind of talking and when mm-hmm. it's just character stuff, it's pretty pretty terrible. <laughs> it's like pretty bad. The the faces on these characters are like Shrek level bad. You think so? Yes, I think they're really really they're caricatures more than they are characters. They're, they're very stylized, yeah. and they're not super detailed compared to like their clothing, for instance. So the textures on their clothing, on the ships, on the planks, and the water, and all that stuff, mm-hmm. fantastic. The humanness of it all is is lacking in a way that a lot of the DreamWorks, you know, animation is is lacking in that regard. So for me, that was kind of a bit of a downer, but. You know, again, it's a it's not that big of a deal because you're oftentimes in the action or, or moving with it. The one real bummer with the animation were the monsters, um, specifically Red, who is right. the titular sea beast. Um, it looks like a big old penis with a horn on it, and so <laughs> they could have done some better, more detailed monster design. There's on no, that. There's yeah, no there's no texture to that creature at all right i think that's kind of it is there's just there, there's no texture it's just a it reminds me of lewis black from inside out where you know it's just this kind of red block yeah that has a yeah. horn on it yeah and you would imagine if you were going to do a, a a really detailed like character design and study of of this beast that you would want to give it scales or you would want right. to give it things that make it look like it belongs in the ocean not like a rubber <laughs> wetsuit basically yeah. or even just make something that kids would want to buy as a toy yeah, yeah i don't imagine kids looking at this creature and and thinking like oh i gotta own i gotta have one of those i yeah, gotta have yeah. one of those you Definitely know not. um and so yeah they weren't quite up to par on the design of of that character I, I agree with you i think they could have done a better job there and also with some of the faces but that being said a uh, kids movie, I guess, is what you can write off to that, and then just say uh, it's it's fun in the swashbuckling elements of it, um, and yeah. So so again, for the action, you're gonna be in good hands. That's right. And speaking of action, my final reason to watch this film is if you like a strong-willed young girl who goes on adventures, forges her own path, makes her way in the world and has a smart mouth while she does it, <laughs> then uh, this is a great film for that. You know, she is uh, the the main character or the the main girl character in this um, is is fantastic. Um, yeah, the voice uh, acting by her was, was really good. Yeah. Um, uh, Zaris Angel Hator. Yeah. Is the name of the actress. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the character's name is Maisie and, and she's adorable and funny and sweet. And, and I think that what's interesting is they actually did a really good job for the most part of making the cast and characters in this film be diverse of diversifying yeah. it. Um, you know, it's a quote unquote period piece, although this is a world in which there are giant monsters. Yes. And there's hundreds of years of monster, you know, uh, hunting. It's so clearly world, yeah. it's not, it's not our world. Right. But, um, but they have, 
people of all different races and and genders um, participating as pirates or or just in society. Yeah. So you don't just have like white men running the armies. The one thing, the one thing, I, you know, I think they get an A minus because the one criticism I have is the monarchs are still white people yeah. and the captain and the the main and the other, the main main, character, and yeah. other main character are white dudes. Yes, that's right. And, you know, it's, it's nice that they have the first mate is a black woman. Yeah. Um, it's nice that they have this in there, but if you're going to have a world in which you say, why not? Let's have all of these different races and everybody sort of is, is more egalitarian and equal. Yeah. Then you know, go all the way, go full Bridgerton. The queen is black or right. whatever, you know, the king or, is. Or yeah, Captain Crow is, you know, uh, Alyssa Crow or whatever. It's, right, you, you can know. you can do kind of whatever you want because you've already decided that you have a world in which there are giant, giant monsters. Yeah. So yeah. everything is on the table in terms of what is believable or the suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I agree. The one, the only um, thing I'll say about the the girl's character, Maisie, mm-hmm. is that it was difficult to tell initially, like, was she super, I'm a gung-ho adventurer, or am I actually kind of scared of what's happening? Because, <laughs> like, she yeah. oscillates back and forth between those things uh, sort of haphazardly. But I think that's actually pretty, like, truthful to, like, how children in- yeah, interact with the I world. Don't, I don't think and, that's wrong. Yeah, and so that was interesting. Like, it was, I was just like, Wait a second. She got on this ship and snuck aboard for an adventure, and then they, it's a ship that hunts monsters. And then a monster so, shows up, and she's like, "I'm afraid." It's like, but you did this to yourself, and but, but it's like that's a kid's logic. And I thought that was an interesting. Yeah, if you're a kid, yeah. you I mean, you grow up hearing these stories, especially if your parents have been immortalized or whatever. Like yeah. you grow, you grow up hearing these things, and so you understand the idea of them and the concept of them, which is very different than when you're faced with the reality of these giant monsters in actual danger. Yeah. And I think that there, um, there were some good other voice performances. So uh, in the last episode, I mentioned that the person who was like the bad guy in our last movie, the princess seemed like a dime store, Carl Urban. So apparently I have summoned (laughs) Carl Urban and lo, he appears. Uh, He is the voice of the the lead protagonist. He does a good job. Um, Yeah, he's good. And then uh, Jared Harris, who I love as an actor, is the voice of Captain Crow. Uh, There are, there are other, you know, sort of people you might recognize, but those are kind of the big ones. Um, yeah, and I, I thought they they did a good job in sort of personifying these characters, but then also the dialogue was actually pretty fun because they use old timey sea terms and pirate stuff, and they get really hammy with it, like mm-hmm. "there be the bluster." And so, you know, uh, if you do want to do a pirate you know accent, this is a movie to watch and, and get sure. into it. Yeah, sure. No, they they do a great job, and and again, um, the the girl that plays Maisie, she does a very fantastic old timey accent, piratey yeah, accent, yeah. orphan pirate accent, or whatever it is that she's doing. So she's she is also very good um, with that. Yes, so. for sure. So those are our four. Those are our four reasons. Reasons. Uh, before we get into anything spoilery, do you recommend the movie? I. Do, but for very specific audiences. So if you just like animation, then then great. Yeah, if, you, if you're an if adult you're, who likes animation, go if for you're it. an adult who likes animation, great. If you're a family and you have kids who are under the age of eight, this might they might not be ready for this. Yeah. And honestly, if they're above the age of twelve, 
they might not be interested in it. Yeah, maybe. Depending on the kid. Yeah. So right in that sweet spot of eight and understands death. Yeah. Or at least a little bit um, and isn't afraid of it all the way through, you know, 12 yeah. like, is a good sort of family. But you, but again, beware of if, if you have younger kids. I have heard that this, uh, I have not seen the movie How to Train Your Dragon, but I have heard that this is basically like someone took How to Train Your Dragon and Pirates of the Caribbean and smooshed them. Okay. And so if your kids are into either of or both of those films, that's a good barometer as to whether they're ready for this one. Is How to Train Your Dragon also, do they also it deal is with DreamWorks. death? I don't know. I haven't okay. seen. Yeah. Okay. But I'm just saying that's what I had heard sort of from other people talking about it. Gotcha. Um, I do not recommend this movie. Okay. Um, partially for the reasons that you say, it seems like it's hitting a really narrow ground of people. Right. Um, and to get into any more of what I mean, I'm going to get into some spoilery territory. Spoiler alert. So if you are... Uh, averse to spoilers, just, just skip ahead two minutes or, you know, just uh, stop listening now and we'll see you next week. Um, <laughs> but the problem with the movie's construction mm-hmm. is that we got 45 minutes into it and I was like, what are the, what, what's the contours of this story? Like there was a big 20 minute, you know, set piece of action. So I understand you want to start strong or whatever. Right. But over the course of the next like 25 minutes, I didn't understand the alignment of the various characters doing what they were supposed to be doing. Like the captain and like the guy played by Carl Urban are like, you know, good buddies. But then there's like, uh, you know, a fight between them. But then you also have the orphan girl, but then you also have the monarchy and they have this brand new ship they're building with this whole army. And then you have uh, like it basically the problem is they just put a lot of stuff in here. Right. Like a lot of conflicting things that they need to try and address, right? And so it's like, oh, we're going to shut down the Monster Hunter program, says the monarchy. But also we have this relationship issue between the captain and his, and this other guy who he thinks is his son or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they just don't really like have a singular focus on what are we going to actually deal with in this movie. They have like five different plots going on at the same time. The other problem with it is, it goes back to the witch. We're in the end of act two. Right. The movie's almost over. We know that the two main characters we're following have made friends with the red sea beast. We know that the captain is still hunting it and they're on a collision course, right? We know that. What they do in order to affect that collision course is they introduce us to a brand new island that is for some reason green, like covered in green fog, not like trees. Mm-hmm. And in the, on that island is a demon witch who's you know, uh, got some magic stuff going on. And everybody warns him against going there because you pay some kind of price. Yeah. You always pay a price. Right. And and they're like, it's going to be the ship, but it's going to curse everyone on the ship. And he goes in and he gets this potion that she's made that'll kill the sea beast. And it's in a big, long harpoon or whatever. And while he's in there. And also gives him a big, long harpoon. Like why doesn't the king or queen have this technology? That was my thought is like, you could just have, just go buy a harpoon. Like that could have been the thing. Anyway. So he goes in there and he talks to her and his tattoos on his body start moving around his skin. So I'm like, oh, is he possessed by magic? Is the witch doing this? Right. Is he a magic person himself? Does Never answered. No answer. It goes around his neck like yep. he's going to get choked. Right. And the witch said, he's like, what's the price? And the witch is like, everything. I want everything. So he gets the thing from her, accepting the price, goes, shoots the monster, captures the monster, takes it back to the kingdom. Uh, hilarity ensues. Everybody accepts the monster as a, a good creature. 
and the witch never comes back nothing ever to take happens. her price right he's the, this guy is not cursed he's not dragged down to davy jones locker it's <laughs> there's nothing that happens uh, as a result of his in of his poor actions and it's like what the fuck did we need that for so i got angrier as the movie went on because they kept throwing shit in there that didn't have to go anywhere it, it didn't ever get picked up it was it was chekhov's gun if chekhov walked out and said like uh Never mind. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the gun. Everybody go back to your business. It's fine. Happy ending. Sure. Anyway. So um, I think that, yeah, I, and I, I can see that it is, it is a loose end that just never gets tied up. Right. So, so because of that, it is frustrating for adults who care about story. It is perhaps a little bit too mature in its subject matter for children mm-hmm. who are, you know, worried about death and dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the middle ground is like, I don't know, I guess dumb people like it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's harsh. That's but harsh. I that's mean, harsh. I liked it I okay. I think it is. A, it's fine to watch as like an entertainment thing. But if you're thinking about it, it's just frustrating. It's like it could have been so much better. To your point, Disney has such a monopoly on this kind of storytelling. Right. It would have been nice for someone to knock a home run out there and say, like, we're going to compete. But this, to me, doesn't. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that the kinder, the the kinder interpretation yeah. of, of everything you're saying is that the the first act act meanders, and the final act doesn't tie it all together in a way that you would feel satisfied. Right. And and if that kind of thing doesn't necessarily because that doesn't necessarily bother everybody, um, that that hasn't. Yeah. You know, I think that if you're just looking for like a, a nice like animation film that like looks nice and and for the most part, like the writing is good and not trolls or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it's better than the vast, vast majority of yeah. kids content out there that is non Disney. Yeah. The other problem, sorry. Okay, let's get to is, it. Yeah. Is uh the ending, the little girl, the mm-hmm. way that she solves the problem is the sea beast gets out in the kingdom. And is like drugged and drunk and like falling and smashing into stuff. And so they're going to go kill it. And she stands up and she shouts, wait. First of all, this is a giant battle with tons of people with cannons and guns and all that kind of stuff. How they hear this little girl is beyond me. But and, and why they stop fighting for her is also beyond me. Sure. But fine. Whatever. Cartoon. Got it. Then her excuse for for getting them to stop this hundred years long war is to say the monarchy lied to us about, you know, the whole monsters thing. The whole thing was like, oh, they came to our shores, they attacked us, so we had to fight them back, right? Mm-hmm. Turns out that never happened. The monarchy was killing these monsters for what reason, we don't know. But, uh, you know, and so the monarchy was bad. Great, fine message. But she stops, but like, she stops this big fight and says this out loud with no documentary evidence. And as we have seen in like our lives daily, you can present people with contrary documentary evidence and they still don't believe you. So this little girl standing up who's an orphan with no prestige or power standing up and saying they lied to us about all this stuff. I can't prove it, but just trust me because I say it loudly on top of a monster. It just I'm like, that's your solution. There had to be a better way. There had to be a better way to end this so that like at least the revelation of that lie was visible. Right. You know? I I think that as I was watching the very end, 
it made me feel feelings inside that was more just sadness about the state of the world. Sure. And to your point about how you can be a scientist with all of the evidence in the world and be screaming at the top of your lungs with people, you know, bodies piling up in freezers outside of hospitals about things that are happening and people still will turn a blind eye to it and yes. not believe you or, or decide that it's not convenient for their lifestyle. Correct. And so I felt and thought about all of those things yep. as I was watching it and got very depressed. But I think that's more just me being sad about the war. Sure. No, but I, I think it holds true. And yeah. it's like, and the other thing is like show don't tell, right? That's just a common story sure. thing. So if you're, making the case that these monsters are not actually bad and that we've been lied to mm -hmm. show the monarchy lying and getting caught right. show the beast acting out of uh you know goodness and kindness and you know and with good favor towards the people in the audience there show that in the big battle scene right mm -hmm. don't just have someone say it it's it's just a wasted opportunity and i'm mad about it as a person who enjoys well-written stories. So that's part of my criticism. Mm -hmm. And it's why I think you could probably skip this one. Sure. And you can just go back and watch Moana for the 437th time. Sure. Also, Forrest is now going to go work for Netflix's Brain Trust. Yeah, please hire me. That would be... <laughs> Where he just like swoops in, they pay him money, and he'll fix the I problems be, of their stories. I would be fired day one because <laughs> I would go up to somebody who has a long and storied career in the business and I would say, what the fuck are you talking about? And then I would get fired. <laughs> sure. Well, that's why they would pay you, though. Right? Uh, I guess that's right. Yeah. Uh, and that concludes <laughs> our episode and my complaining for the week. But uh, we did give you four reasons to check out the movie. I think that if you are interested in... Uh, those action sequences. If you're interested in a strong and, and precocious uh, black lead female child character, if you're interested in uh, seeing what Netflix is up to with their animation, or if you just do actually like Chris Williams' other films, those are four reasons right there to watch The Sea Beast. Also, every time we say The Sea Beast, I just think about the CDs on <laughs> Frasier, which is the awards that For, they yeah, give the to the yeah. local Seattle broadcasters award, yeah. The Sea Beast. <laughs> yeah, uh, my my grandfather was a member of The Sea Beast, which was uh, the construction crew that was part of, I believe, the Marines in World War II. Not the CBGBs. Not the CBGBs. Or the heebie-jeebies. Uh, not the Sea Biscuits, which is a horse. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, we are uh, loopy. So have a good Saturday, everyone. Enjoy your weekend and uh, go for the bluster. Have a good weekend, folks. Bye. Bye.